Uh, my name's Tyler Durham. I'm the Life Stage 2 pastor and the Renovate pastor. And um, I'm so glad that you're here today. If you're a visitor, thank you for joining us. Uh, a few quick things for you. We have connect cards out at the information desk out here. If you have not filled one of those out, I'd love for you to fill that out. That'll help you get a better idea of what we do in Renovate and the events that we have um, throughout the week and things like that. And then also, we have an information desk out there. If you want to get involved with a small group, if you want to get plugged in, we want to make that as easy as possible. And so we have a, um, a connect desk out there, so we'd love for you to do that. But a few quick announcements before we begin. And the first one is on Friday, October 24th, We've got a group going to the Hall's Pumpkin Farm. Okay, at least two people are going to that, so that'll be great. Um, but we're going to meet at the church at 7 p.m. I think it's going to be a great time. It's Friday night, October 24th. And if you want a carpool, like I said, church parking lot at 7. And the cost is 5 to $10. I don't know why that range is there. I guess for children, 5 for adults, 10 So I don't know which one you're going to pay for. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And then the second thing is beautiful feet. We have partnered with this ministry for quite some time now, and I think it's an amazing ministry. Our local outreach pastor also is doing things with beautiful feet, and they meet in East Fort Worth, and they work with the homeless. And so Saturday, October 25th, we are going to take a group to beautiful feet, and normally what we do is we help sort clothes that have been donated, and that takes a lot of work because a lot of clothes get donated. And then if you want to, you can stay and eat lunch with, with the homeless and they have a worship service. But what we normally do is meet in the parking garage at 8 a.m. And then you can cruise out there, carpool, and you can leave at 1130. Or if you want to stay and hang out, you can do that. But it's just a great opportunity that we see that we can serve the city of Fort Worth and, and help renovate lives there. And then also we have a Perk Coffee Shop. And uh, a lot of times we hang out over here and we never really make our way over there. But uh, the Perk Coffee Shop is coming over here now. And so they're going to have a portable uh, coffee station out here if you want to grab some coffee and visit with your friends. Um, honestly, we're trying to evaluate whether this is something we want to continue to do. If you guys just want to hang out and then go somewhere else to drink coffee and socialize, then it might not be something that we do, but we want to test it out. So they're coming over here to us tonight. So if you want to grab a coffee, uh, cup of coffee, you can do that. We're in the second week of a new series called Between Black and White. And thinking about the title this week, I thought that's probably not the best title. Because it's not about being between black and white, the gray areas of the Christian faith. It's beyond black and white, the gray areas of the Christian faith. Because in the Christian life, there are black and white issues. And I don't know if I've made that clear, but there are certain things that we believe. There are certain things that the Bible says, do this and don't do this. Believe this and don't believe that. Don't believe that. There are certain doctrines that as a church here at Christ Chapel, we, we just believe. And we believe they're black and white. And so there is a place for black and white in the Christian faith. But when you go beyond the black and white, there are a lot of areas that are gray. And we've just picked five. I'm sure you could pick a lot more. But, but what makes them gray is that you can't go to a specific Bible verse and find the exact answer of how to deal with this issue. And so whether it's music or movies or dating or last week we talked about social media and tonight we're talking about alcohol. I believe these are gray areas because you can't find specific verses that deal with these things. And what Christians do sometimes is we don't like to live in the gray areas. 
And so what some Christians want to do is they want to swing the pendulum all the way over to one side and they want to make everything black and white. And so there are no gray areas. Everything's black and white. There's a list of do's and don'ts. And even if the Bible doesn't say these are do's and don'ts, we create our own rules and regulations in our churches. And it becomes you're either on the team or off the team. You either believe all of these things as I do or you're not on my team. There are no gray areas. And so what happens when we do that is we actually push people away from the gospel and we actually create an environment that's very legalistic. But then on the other side, people oftentimes who've grown up in that church context of a very legalistic black and white, we swing the other direction and everything in the Christian life is gray. And everything, you're just free to do as you want to do and you just go as far as you want to go and and it's normally a reaction to the black and white. But what this series is all about is to teach you and to give you some principles as to how to navigate the gray areas while also holding the black and white. And it takes a lot of skill. It is not easy. The overarching verse for this whole sermon series, it's five weeks, is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so I want to help you live in the gray areas to the glory of God. And tonight we're talking about alcohol. And so each week we're going to have a little video testimony from one of you guys. And this week, one of my dear friends, Brian Hendricks, who's been a part, I've been here for a year and a half and he's been here since day one. He's been a part of my Thursday night guys group we call the round table. He's been there since day one. He goes to Southwestern Seminary where I go and he's a volunteer with Renovate. And we've become close friends and, and he has dealt with alcohol in his own way as we all have in some ways. And so he was willing to share his story. So let's take a look. Unfortunately, when my parents divorced, uh, it turned from something that was social, kind of hang out, have fun with, to a coping factor. There was a lot of pain, a lot of just uh, emotions. There was two sides of the coin, like he said, she said. And so, uh, you know, I wanted nothing to do with it. So alcohol became my escape. Uh, in 2004, a uh, year before I became a Christian, um, I had been pulled over because I had gone out with some friends and uh, had went through the breathalyzer test, failed, ended up taking me down to the station. Uh, it was an extremely humbling moment uh, because what had become something that from social became an escape to now my abuse of alcohol, uh, I was reaping what I sowed. When you're sitting in the back of a cop car, all those decisions to drink alcohol seem pretty stupid at that point. Currently I go to a Baptist seminary, uh, which obviously there's absolutely no alcohol, so I don't actually drink alcohol as of right now. As far as my beliefs towards alcohol goes, it's definitely in moderation. Um, it's not something that, uh, you know, scripture, um, doesn't allow drunkenness. It uh, actually says that that is a sin, to, that drunkenness is a sin. But uh, to just drink and uh, you know, have a couple drinks with your friends, um, that's perfectly okay. As long as like something, in my case, it does not become an escape or something that, well, I need to have a few drinks in order to have joy in my life. Uh, as a Christian, you should be 
seeking and finding your joy in Christ. Yeah, so, you know, I, I look at that testimony, I see a lot of my testimony in his testimony, and you're going to hear a little bit about that tonight, but the reality is alcohol is a, is a dangerous thing. Um, alcohol has destroyed families, and maybe some of you have had parents that have struggled with alcohol, or you have struggled with alcohol, and it can have devastating results in your life and in your family's life. And alcohol worldwide, I saw this the other day in a 2011 study, worldwide 2.5 million people die every year from alcohol. And that accounts for 4% of the total deaths worldwide, more than AIDS, tuberculosis, and violence. Heavy drinking can cause physical problems to your body, can impair the way you think, can, can damage your body. There are dangers with alcohol, and I think we all know that. However, if you look back through church history, Christianity has, has not had a complete total abstinence from alcohol view throughout church history. In fact, John Calvin, some of you may have heard of John Calvin, but he was a pastor in Geneva. Part of his salary package was that he would have 250 gallons of wine a year for his salary package. And the wine was not all for him, or that would be a serious problem, <laughs> yearly, 250 gallons, but he would have big celebrations and parties at his house, and part of hospitality, he wanted to serve the people that came to his house. Martin Luther is well known for having a wife who was a brewer, and he has love letters that are in existence to this day where he talks about how he longs for her beer because of her special way that she makes it. The, the Puritans who landed on, on Plymouth Rock, what was the first permanent building that they built? It was a brewery. And then, of course, we've, we've heard of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien sitting in the, what is it, the Eagle and Child, is that right? The pub in Oxford, there you go, over there. Um, but they would sit in there and they would drink beer and they would dream up these amazing stories that reflected biblical principles like Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings. We, we see these two sides to alcohol. And so it, it's a gray area, and we're going to get into the scriptures tonight. It's a gray area, and I want to make it really simple tonight. So there's, there's three L's to drinking. And the, the reason I, I say three L's is because for those of you who drinking is a part of your life, I just want you to remember the three L's to drinking, and it's listen, limit, and look. Listen, limit, and look. Listen to your conscience. Limit how much you drink and look around at your environment. And so I simply want to walk through those three principles tonight and show you how I think those are going to help you navigate the gray areas. And so the, the first one is to listen to your conscience. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 14, but we're going to have these verses up on the screen. But listen to your conscience. This is something that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, but I'm just going to look at Romans. So Romans chapter 14, just a few different verses in this chapter... I would encourage you to go home and read this in your own time. It's a great chapter when it comes to this. But in verse 5, he says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So Paul's saying, if, if you want to celebrate these religious festivals and consider those you know, a requirement for your Christian life, go for it. But whatever you do, you have to be convinced in your own mind. You have to be confident that what you're doing is right. And then he goes on and says in verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, 
But it is unclean for anyone who does what? Who thinks it unclean. And so for Paul, it's, it's all related to the person's conscience. And so if you think that it's unclean and you do it anyways, you're going against your conscience. And one more verse from chapter 14. He says in verse 23, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying is that the decision about what you eat and what religious festivals you go to, and there's a whole context for that in his culture that I'm not going to go into, and and if you drink wine or if you don't drink wine, is about if you're convinced in your mind and you can do it by faith to the glory of God, then you can do it. But if there is something in, if there is a check in your spirit, if your conscience is telling you no, then in Paul's mind, you, you shouldn't go down that route. And so, my life, for just a minute, I want to open up the curtains to my life. I had my first beer when I was 14 years old. My, uh, one of my good friends was 15. He got his driver's permit, and he got a blue Z71 truck. And I can't believe we did this, but every Sunday, we would go to a certain store in town that didn't card, and he would go in and get just two beers. One for me and one for him. And he looked like he was 25 at the age of 15. I looked like I was 9 at the age of 14. <laughs> so I stayed in the truck. He went inside. And, uh, and we drove around and had one beer. And then it was over. It was like we just did that. Now, that was completely wrong in so many different levels. But that was my first introduction to it. My parents didn't grow up with alcohol. I never saw it in my house. And I just had a little taste of it. But what happened was later on in high school... As we all know, that the pressure to fit in and the pressure to be a part and the pressure to, to build community and relationships. One of the struggles I've had, and, and I've said this up on this stage and I, I've said it before, but, but anxiety is one of my biggest battles and enemies. And so what I started finding later on in high school is that when I would drink alcohol, the anxiety would go away. And so before that, I would go to parties and hang out with friends and I could be myself without drinking. But I tried it and I started liking the feeling. And all of a sudden it got to the point to where I was doing it so much that when I went out to hang out with my friends, if I didn't have it, I kind of was a shell of myself and didn't, didn't want to be a part of the actions, didn't act goofy and crazy like I used to act before I had any alcohol. And all of a sudden it became a, a crutch in my life. And I can remember when I went to college... And I got involved with the college ministry and, and God was working in my life, surprisingly in Lufkin, Texas. God was transforming my life in this small little town. I was from Fort Worth, got involved with this church there, and I saw tremendous growth. I saw life change. I, I developed new friendships with people who were pursuing Christ. And I started getting excited about reading the Bible. And I started having this, this, this different view of alcohol. And then unfortunately this semester ended. And guess where I went when the semester ended? Where did I go? I went back home. And so when I went back home the summer after my freshman year. It was one of the lowest points in my life. And alcohol was at the center of it. And what had happened was I had surgery on my elbow. I was a baseball player, and so I had no baseball that summer. It was just sit around and be Tyler the person, not Tyler the baseball player, which was difficult for me. And so I would go out to hang out with my friends, and I found myself drinking 
you know, five, six, seven, eight beers and getting drunk. And then I'd wake up the next morning and be like, man, that was stupid. What am I doing? I'm not going to do that again. And then it happened again. And then it kept happening that summer. And, and the, the low point was one morning I was still working out with a trainer um, just to stay in sh- shape for baseball. And one morning I woke up. It was an early morning workout and I was in the shower and I started throwing up blood from the night before of going out and partying. And my older brother, who is not a believer and, and you know, embraces that lifestyle, he was like, man, that's crazy, dude. You need to chill out. You know, even he was like, something's wrong. And for the, for the first time, I actually thought, what, what if I'm an alcoholic? What if I have to have this every night and it scared me to death, but yet the next night I went out and did it again? And it, it was a frightening thing to see how much my identity was wrapped up in, in the alcohol. And so, just to keep a long story short, at the end of the summer, I, I just hit rock bottom. I, I went into a really deep depression because, you know, you know, some of y'all can resonate with that. You get this spiritual high and you see God move in your life and then you take three steps back. And I was just at the end of myself and then I had to leave to go back to school, away from my family, and it was difficult. And I just... I hit rock bottom and I said, I don't want anything to do with this. This thing, this is terrible in my life. And when I went back to school, I I was scared to death of alcohol. And my my friends on the baseball team who I used to hang out with at times, they would go out and drink. I, I I stayed away from it. And I didn't want any part of it. What had happened was my conscience began to respond to what I was doing and became overly sensitive to alcohol. And all the bad memories were wrapped up in that one thing. And so what I began to do, sadly, was I pulled away from my friends that, that, you know, drank alcohol. Not all of them drank and abused it. But I pulled away from them and I started judging them and thinking that that they were evil, that they were bad, and that they didn't understand what, what the true Christian life was. And so I hope you can see in that story how the pendulum swung radically in one year to the point where... I was looking down upon the people a year before I was hanging out with and thinking, man, they they just don't get it because of my struggles. And so I was trying to impose that on them. And the reason I say that is because I needed to listen to my conscience at that point. At that point, I needed to go into the desert for a while and to get my life in order so that I could go back into that context and, and be a different person. But I had to listen to my conscience. And so over the years since then, my conscience has, has gotten back what I think in line, more in line with Scripture, more, more with a view of moderation, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And I feel like I'm in a place where I, alcohol is, is not necessarily the problem, but my heart is, is the problem. And I'm able to, to navigate it from a whole different place. Now, I go to Southwestern, too, where Brian goes, and so we, we can't drink there, so I don't drink, but I'm not opposed to it, and, and I, I would have a beer if I could, but only because my conscience allows me to. And so for you guys, the first thing you have to do when it comes to alcohol is not ask, well, the, Bi- the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to do this. The Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to, to drink alcohol, but it's about what your conscience is saying to you right now in your context. And for some of you, it might be saying you need to step away for a time. And for some of you, it might be saying you need to 
you know, enjoy alcohol within its boundaries. And we'll talk about that in a minute as well. But you, you have to listen to your conscience if you want to navigate this area well. And number two, you have to limit your intake. The Bible is crystal clear. Here's a black and white from the Bible. Drunkenness is a sin. And so what I'm going to do is just go down a list of scriptures. You don't have to turn there. It's not going to be on the screen. But just, I just want to give you a taste of what the Bible says about drunkenness. Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, excuse me, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. In other words, you're a fool if you're led astray by strong drink and wine. Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Romans 13.13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Galatians 5, 19 to 21, now the works of the flesh are evident. And he goes down this list, and one of those is drunkenness. If, if you're a Christian who professes to be a follower of Christ, and you are pursuing a life of, of, of consuming alcohol to the level that you are getting drunk on a consistent basis, you are living in sin. And there is no way to justify that. And I, I just I, I want that to hit you because the context that we're in right here is is not what most church contexts are. I think our church has a proper view of alcohol in moderation. But what some of you have done, you have gone beyond moderation and you're abusing alcohol. But on the other hand, the Bible is accepting of consuming alcohol at a moderate level in moderation. Psalm 104, 14 to 15 you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. God allows this person to cultivate the vineyard and produce wine and it gladdens the heart of man. Ecclesiastes 9.7 Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Ten, uh, Ecclesiastes 10.19 Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. And the Apostle Paul, as I said earlier to First Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5.23, says, Timothy, I don't want you to drink just water. I, I want you to drink a little wine. It's going to help you physically with your ailments. There is, there is a medicinal part of that. So what I'm saying is, is that drunkenness is the black and white. But for the Bible, alcohol was created by God to be used for His glory. And there are examples after examples of people who've used alcohol and done it in a way by faith to the glory of God. And it actually is, is a, a beautiful thing when done correctly. And, and, I, and I think many of us have experienced that. The fellowship and the community and the laughter and the joy and the celebration. You know, the weddings and the receptions afterwards. And, and just the, it, it's, it's in the Bible. Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding. It, it is, there is a place for alcohol in the Christian life if used with moderation. The issue is overindulgence and going beyond moderation. My wife is going to laugh at this because after we first got married, I went on a binge with a, a particular flavor of ice cream. It was always bluebell ice cream and it was mint chocolate chip. And so when, when, when guys, when you get married, you're going to understand that you're probably going to put on 15 to 20 pounds because, you know, the, the, the pursuit is over, your wife's cooking for you, you're eating dessert and it's like, hey, I'm here. And then you look up and go, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. And 
I got to the point where every night I'm eating a bowl. I'm not talking a little dish. I'm talking a, a deep, wide bowl of a regular carton of Bluebell that's about half done by the time I have my evening ice cream. Well, you do that for weeks on end and you transform the way you look. You can't tell because you look in the mirror every day and it's gradual, but when you go back home or you go to a different place that people haven't seen you in a while and they're like, dude, man, what have you been doing? It's like, hey, I'm sorry, I like mint chocolate chip ice cream. So guess what I had to do? I had to take a break. I had to take a break from mint chocolate chip ice cream. And it was a long break. I'm talking a few years. But I'm proud to say, I, I am proud to say that today, what I, I have a strategy and what I do is, the first strategy is don't get it. But when, when I'm in my weaker moments or when my wife just wants to put the temptation before me and I show up and she's like, look in the freezer. I'm like, oh gosh. You know, I'm wrestling with it. Look again, close it. And, but what I learned was just get a tiny bowl and fight the good fight and just fill that tiny bowl. And guess what happens? I eat the ice cream and I enjoy it during eating it and after. I don't go to sleep with heartburn. I don't go to sleep with guilt. I don't go to sleep with shame. And my body doesn't transform it into something I don't want it to look like because of the moderation of eating that ice cream. It's alcohol is the same thing. Sex. And I mean, you could go down the list. Food, all kinds of food, anything, social media, movies, music, anything overindulged becomes a bad thing. Alcohol just has some severe dangers that come with that that may be more severe than others. And so what you have to do is check yourself and see where you're at with alcohol in moderation. And so for some of you, it might mean you need to take a step back and go on a little alcohol sabbatical. A sabbatical means just time away. I'm, I dream of a sabbatical from school. But a sabbatical just means time away from school so you can work on things. You need a sabbatical from ice cream or from alcohol or from food or from anything like that. Because sometimes you need to pull yourself from, away from it so that you can enter back into it and be under control. Self-control, which Paul talks about. So 1 Corinthians 6.12 all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. So it's okay that I eat a big bowl of ice cream, I guess. It's, it's lawful. I have the freedom to do that. And with alcohol, I have the freedom to drink. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Another version says mastered. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying with, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ... When you trust in Him, you have been set free from sin. You have been set free from the condemnation of law. You have been given a new life and a new heart and new desires. And you are forgiven and cleansed and declared righteous before God. And there are great freedoms that come with that. But what Paul says is, I'm never going to let those freedoms have mastery over me. I'm always going to be the one in control. And so... Money's not going to master me. I'm going to master my money. Alcohol's not going to master me. I'm going to master alcohol. And I'm going to keep it within its proper boundaries. That's what Paul is saying. A few other questions to consider. Do you go to alcohol as an escape or a crutch? Simple question. Why do you drink? 
Is it because you enjoy the taste and you enjoy the the fellowship and the you know you enjoy the the pleasures of of just the the way it kind of relaxes you and the way it stimulates conversation and allows you to focus on some of the deeper things in life and enjoy the beauty of life? Or do you drink alcohol? Do you use it to get something else? So are you using alcohol or are you receiving alcohol as a blessing? I think there's a big difference. And I think this concept of using can actually be applied to a lot of different areas with what we're talking about in the gray areas. Are you using these things to get something from them, your identity, your sense of self-worth? Are you receiving these things as a blessing from God to celebrate the beauty of God and the glory of God and, and fellowship with your community? Those are some things that I, I want you to ask. And then finally, um, a, a real quick quote, um, finally on this point, a real quick quote from a guy named Brett McCracken, but he says in his book, Gray Matters, this is, this is great. If we can consistently enjoy alcohol without drinking it to excess, we also communicate something about the way we view alcohol. That its goodness lies not in its ability to get us drunk, but rather in the pleasure of savoring it moderately. And, it, and it's kind of like the, the, the wine taster, the wine connoisseur. It's, it's not about getting drunk. It's about the, the hobby and the flavors and the taste and, and the process of how all of that goes together. And, and it's a wonderful thing when it's kept in its, in its proper boundaries and in moderation. So finally, um, number three, look around at your environment. And many of you have grown up in church circles have heard of the, the weaker brother argument. And it is a legitimate argument from Romans 14 once again. But he says, uh, Paul says in verse 20, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Once again, Paul's not saying it's bad to drink or to eat or to do a lot of things. But he's saying if you doing that causes your brother or sister in Christ to stumble because their conscience is sensitive, then you need to relinquish your rights and put them ahead of yourself. And that's the, that's the gospel. If, if we want to be a, a ministry where we really display the gospel, that means some of you, some of the time, depending on your environment, are going to give up some of your freedoms so that you don't cause another person in your life to stumble. And a great example is someone who's, whose families have been ravaged by alcohol and has made a decision to abstain from alcohol, which is a wonderful decision, to constantly be putting them under pressure to do that and to be drinking around them can cause them to stumble. And so Paul's saying, yes, you're free to do that, but consider your environment. Consider those that you're around. Um, here's an interesting thing that happens. Paul is saying that the one who can't handle alcohol is the weaker brother. The one that has the freedom to drink and, and eat is the stronger brother. And what often happens is the stronger brother gives the weaker brother a hard time. It's like, man, you need to lighten up. You know, just chill out, have a beer, don't worry about it. You know, they're, they're kind of ridiculing them because their conscience is not allowing them to, to do that. But the weaker brother, what does the weaker brother say about the stronger brother? Judgment. Well, you, you know, you're, you're less of a Christian because you drink alcohol. 
And if, if only you would give up alcohol, that, that's how you really live the holy life. And so it's this vicious cycle of the stronger brother ridiculing the younger brother and the younger brother judging the stronger brother. And do you think that promotes unity within a church or ministry? No, it promotes separation. And so Paul's saying, if, if love is, is the highest goal and if the gospel is what we're living for, then, then we need to love each other and respect where we are when it comes to the gray areas. And in respecting people, that means you're considering your environment and who's in the environment. So there might be some places where it's okay for you to drink and some places or situations where it's not okay and it's based on your love for your brothers and sisters. Are you willing to give up your own freedom for your love for your brothers and sisters? Now, I could go on forever about, okay, well, what context are you talking about? Give me, you know, give me scenarios of that. The... The problem with this whole sermon series is a lot of it has to do with, with, with your convictions and your conscience and your ability to apply this in the situations of your life. And so listen, limit, and look. That's what I want you to think about when, when you think about how alcohol is going to play a part in your life. So if, if you've decided to, in closing, if you've decided to abstain from alcohol... That's a perfectly fine position. Abstain from it and, and don't feel guilty about that and, and live your life that way. But if you have decided that you want to enjoy the, the gifts of God, which one of them is alcohol in moderation, then I want to encourage you to, to not feel guilty about that as long as it's in the right parameters, which we just went over. And I think when we do that as, as a body of Believers in, in this particular context, I think it's going to create a lot of freedom for the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives. And it's also going to create a lot of dialogue between people uh, to understand each other's positions and, and to respect each other's positions better. And so we can all agree, black and white, drunkenness is a sin, but, but there, is, um, there is a gray area in navigating this issue of alcohol. And, and I think that when we do it well... It gives glory and praise to God. And doing it well might mean abstaining for a time or for a season or for your life. Or it might mean partaking of it. And, and in doing that in faith with the intention of, of celebrating life and glorifying God, it can be a beautiful thing. So let's pray together. Father God, first I want to thank you for your creation. That we're surrounded by your beauty. We're surrounded by so many wonderful, good things in this world. And it's only because of our sinful hearts that we pervert them and abuse them and overindulge in them. And so the answer to that is not to remove these things that you've created for our joy, but to learn to use them in a way that brings glory to you. And so I pray, Father, for those who have chosen the route of abstaining from alcohol, that you would encourage them and, and, and Lord, continue to... Help them align their conscience with Scripture, whether that means changing or not. But I also pray that you would encourage them to love their brothers and sisters who maybe haven't chosen that route and have chosen to use alcohol in, in a moderate way. And Father, for those who, who have chosen the route to drink alcohol, I pray that you would just give them boundaries and restraints and, and, and help them to partake of these things 
in a way that really makes you look great and in a way that is a witness to the watching world. We love you and praise you. And we thank you that, that once again we're surrounded by beauty and by great things and you, you lavish us with your grace and mercy. You give us so many good things. Help us to partake of these good things in faith in joy and with the intention of loving and serving others and loving and serving you. We love you and praise you and I pray that as we close our time in worship that you, your spirit would come in this place and just help us to worship freely with joy and with conviction. In Jesus' name, amen.